Do you believe in alternate universes? You are listening to Delayed Replay. The Improvised Movie Review Podcast. Wink. Everything is fine here. We're all fine. Just sit tight and listen to them talk about the movies they definitely saw. Don't delay. Don't delay. We have to listen right away. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we talk about some of the most recent movies. Sometimes they came out like a few months ago or weeks ago, or maybe rarely it's opening weekend. On this episode, we're talking about Morbius, which came out in July. And with me, he has written some novels in the Star Trek, Marvel, DC, Planet of the Apes franchises, and much more, probably. It is Greg Cox. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, like I was trying to think of who to have on this Morbius episode, and I feel like you're probably the biggest Morbius fan that I know. Well, as you know, and we have actually discussed this in the past, um, I'm honestly, yeah, Morbius is one of my favorite characters. Um, I will cop to writing Morbius fan fiction back in high school. And I'm still shamelessly proud of the fact that I actually sold a Morbius story to Marvel Comics many years ago that appeared in Web of Spider-Man issue 120. I had looked up the number right before this podcast just to make sure I had that number right. So yeah, I, I grew up reading the Morbius comics in vampire tales and adventures into fear and at the risk of dating myself i remember picking up spider-man number 101 the first appearance of morbius at 7-eleven when i was a kid i took my bike up to 7-eleven got a slurpee and bought <laughs> um spider-man number 101 which was the first appearance of morbius the living vampire so yes i was waiting from bated breath for the movie so nice and it only took a few decades but like yeah. it finally came so what was it that drew you to like the morbius character back in the day when you were reading those comics honestly i think it was because it was pushing two of my buttons at once i'm a horror fan and i like superhero comics so oh my god vampires and comic books this is like you know reese's pieces you know <laughs> yes. peanut butter and chocolate book two of my favorite things you know a comic book superhero vampire. So, Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's a time when comics started focusing on horror. Like, I think that was like in the 70s. Like, you had like Swamp Thing and all sorts of other things popping up, which was interesting. Well, there was a whole Marvel horror boom, which hit just in time for my adolescence. Where you had, yes, yeah, Werewolf by Night, Monster of Frankenstein, Tomb of Dracula, Blade the Vampire Slayer. You know, Son of Satan, Ghost Rider, you know, on and on. And actually, the reason for this was because there was a change in the comic code. When the comic code authority was set up in the 50s, vampires, werewolves, ghouls, zombies, they were all banned from comic books. Because this was in the backlash against the violent horror comics of the 50s, Tales from the Crypt. In the 70s, they finally revised the comic code and opened the door to vampires, werewolves, monsters, etc. Although, oddly enough, zombies remained off-limits. 
um, at that time. <laughs> but and Marvel jumped on this. And I think Morbius was their first kind of tentatively putting their, you know, toe into the horror waters. Oh, let's let's do a vampire character in Spider-Man. It was kind of making kind of a comic book superhero. And I guess that then beget more aggressively horror stuff like Monster of Frankenstein, Werewolf by Night, Ghost Rider, Tomb of Dracula, Vampire Tales, Lilith, Daughter of Dracula, you know, etc. And of and course, Morbius, who started out just as a historical lesson, as a Spider-Man villain, quickly was promoted into his own his own strips. In fact, at one point, he had two rival series going on with completely different continuities. There was a black and white series in Vampire Tales, written by Don McGregor, and there was a color comic book in Adventures into Fear, written largely by Steve Gerber. And these were sort of, you know, so if you were a yeah, teenage Morbius fan, you could, you know, read the black and white magazine or the color comic book. Nice. Like, as you're mentioning the comic strips, I, like, thought of a pun, which is Morbius strips, because, like, the Mobius strip is something <laughs> that was mentioned in Endgame, right? Yeah. Do you remember, like, any of the types of stories you wrote when, like, you were doing Morbius fan fiction way back then? Oh, yeah. I actually reread a bunch of it recently because, actually, when we were clearing out my parents' old house because they were, like, moving into retirement community, I found, actually, a cache of it. And we would, honestly, I was largely into doing crossovers. So it was Morbius meets Blade, Morbius meets Lilith. Uh, Morbius runs into Son of Satan, you know, etc. Morbius, Son of Satan runs into Man Thing. I was, I was, I was having fun doing mini crossovers of my favorite characters. That's kind of funny because when I wrote fan fiction as a kid, at like in elementary and then later in high school, I was really into doing crossovers as well. Like I would put the Star Wars characters in like Middle Earth or Middle Earth and Narnia or something, and. It was weird. <laughs> One of my oldest memories, and sadly, I don't think this is, no copies survive, but I remember as a kid writing a Charlie Brown meets Dracula crossover. Oh, wow. The Peanuts gang met the monster. I think it was called Good Grief Monsters. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Brown, Snoopy and Linus meeting Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman. Again, me just grabbing my favorite things and smushing them together, you know. Oh, uh, that's amazing. I mean, they're peanuts, so it's like, you got to get the peanut butter, put it with the chocolate, like you said earlier. Yeah. Um, I would totally love to see like a Peanuts crossover with Dracula. That would be amazing. Um, I didn't even remember Linus using his, his, his towel as a sort of a whip to snapping it and knocking Dracula in bat form out of the sky, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I think in in high school, I wrote like Spider-Man fan fiction. It was like my own take on what I thought like Sam Raimi's next trilogy would have been like. And I included Morbius in there, even though I knew very little about him and like Man Wolf was in there too. And it, it was something like, I think my writing style back then wasn't as bad as I thought it was, but I could have used more refining. Like I'd only read one Morbius comic in my entire life, I think. Like, in 2013, there was, like, this new Morbius series, I think, only lasted nine issues. But I got the first one because, like, the cover looked amazing. It had, like, this gothic look to it. But then, like, you know, you, it's 
one of those classic instances where you buy the comic book issue because the cover looks cool, but then like the interior art doesn't look as good as you were hoping. Like it was fine. It just didn't have that gothic look I would have preferred. And I think I even remember someone in the stores. He was like telling his friend or someone who works at the store. He was like, oh yeah, the Morbius series is cool, I guess. I just wish it was darker. But yeah, like I never got past that first issue because like I wasn't as adept at like going out and buying comics and whatnot. So like if I ever do revisit that series, it's not too daunting. It's just several issues. So it might be worth checking out. At this point, yeah, there's been... You know, several generations of Morbius comics. Yeah, you know, every decade or so puts out a new series. I think there was one that was running, no doubt. You know, with the movie in the works, they Marvel wanted to have Morbius comics in the stores, and I I've been seeing some reprint collections and things. And yeah, some of them have been darker and more vigilante oriented, and some of them more gothic. And I remember in the seventies, like I said, there were two simultaneous Morbius series. And one of them, yeah, one, the black and white one was kind of very horror and gothic and evil satanic cults and such. Whereas I think the, the color comic, uh, the one that was, you know, sold at Spin Racks at 7-Eleven, um, had more sci-fi comic book plots with supervillains and even alien invaders and, you know, creatures from other dimensions. So there were kind of two different approaches. Nice. Yeah, with comics you can go in all sorts of different directions so it's kind of like the pendulum swings one way and then the other i remember noticing even as a teen that morbius even morbius's character personality had a very tendency to vary a bit from where, when he um where he appeared in his own books he was more tortured anti-hero whereas when he popped up back again in spider-man he would somehow slide a little bit back more into comic book supervillain mode and dialogue Curse you, Spider-Man, you know, <laughs> tortured, angsty vampire in, you know, his own book and sort of, I will stop, you know. Yeah. So the, the, the whole sort of I'm tortured by my origin thing is, you know, was always there. Which the new movie, in fact, obviously has picked up on, you know, tragic accident, trying to cure himself, etc. Yeah, when I first saw the trailer for this movie, I think I was at disneyland back in january like my brother and our friend uh i was with them and we went to galaxy's edge you know the star wars portion of the park and like the trailer dropped and i tried watching it on my phone mm -hmm. i don't think i had my earbuds handy or if i did it was like still too loud with like the crowd around me and so i played the trailer and i was like uh eh. I guess that's fine. Uh, like, I wasn't really sure what was going on in it. But when I watched the trailer again months later, like, it's it's a really well-cut trailer. It really gets the blood pumping and has that, I think it's Beethoven music, at least fur, if I'm not mistaken. And, yeah, just sets, like, the dark horror tone of the movie. And, you know, with allowing the usual latitude... I recognize it. Oh, yeah, that's more or less the setup from, you know, the movie. Though, of course, you know, from the comic, original comics. Though, of course, as in the manner of things, they, they're obviously taking their time and fleshing out. I think in the original Spider-Man comic, Morbius's origin was handled in about three pages, you know. <laughs> right. 
brilliant scientist, tragically dying of blood succeed. Hey, let's try radioactive bat blood. That might cure me. What could go wrong? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of room there to flesh it out and introduce the character before the experiment goes badly, badly wrong. Yeah, like this movie very much it dives into that old trope. It, it's it's it can be a well done trope of like you know, someone becomes a monster and they have this internal struggle of like, am I still a good person or can I, like, am I just doomed to be evil or whatever? And that's kind of one thing I liked about the MCU's Incredible Hulk movie, which I think is underrated. And yeah, I don't know, there's just something about those types of stories that is just fun for me to watch. Well, even, even Doctor Strange, I really like the Doctor Strange movie. And one of the things I like is, again, if you go back and look at the original Stan Lee, St Steve Gitko story, um, Strange's backstory is all covered in about one page. The whole business, <laughs> arrogant surgeon, tragic accident, my hands are ruined, I'll never work again, I'm going to wander off to forest, you know, seek, seek a healer. I, I, I like how they took that sort of bear thing, which indeed, the original comic, I think, ran through in about eight panels, and made a whole story, and, oh, let's flesh this out and introduce the story. and. Taking him on this whole arc, which your comic story was, you know, okay, here's his origin, here's one page, now on to our next exciting adventure, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with comics, right? Like, for example, you had Batman, and his origin, like, was covered in a couple of pages back in the late 30s, early 40s, and then, like, much later, you get more of that, including, like, one of the more popular ones, which is Batman Year One back in the 80s. So, it's it's kind of neat that in comics you can find all these nooks and crannies and expand and flesh them out a bit. Especially compared to the original stories, which were just kind of quickly moving along. I mean, even Doctor Strange, as I recall, they didn't even get around to giving him an origin until like his fifth appearance. Originally, he was just this spooky guy living in Greenwich Village. They call me Doctor Strange, you know. And then, oh, we should give him an origin. But again, again, the you know, Iron Man, I think the whole backstory of arrogant war financier oops, you know, <laughs> was, you know, one or two panels. Indeed, even, it's fascinating to go back and see how the, all this stuff has been fleshed out over the generations, both by subsequent comic book writers and artists, but also by the movies and the media. Spider-Man, Uncle Ben, I think Uncle Ben is around for about three panels in the original Spider-Man story, you know. Just about, hey, young, hey, how you doing, young man? Great, you know, you know. And again, they, the whole relationship is set up in about, whereas when you're doing a movie, you have to hire Cliff Robertson or somebody to flesh out the character, you know. Yeah, I mean, that was a great performance from Cliff Robertson. And it's like, it adds a lot of weight to the situation. And I remember rereading that original story, maybe it was three years ago, but yeah, I guess he, Uncle Ben isn't in it as much. And I don't know if like the weight that I felt was just, from me having experienced the movies or what, but it's like that's an iconic moment in Peter Parker's life. And well, the moment, you know, in the original comic, like I said, Uncle Ben, death is a major big deal and it works in the original comic, but again, yeah, they were doing very sort of compressed storyline. There's like, you know, oh, here's two panels of his beloved Uncle Ben, you know, tousling his hair and you know, you, you, you know, you go there and, you know, have some big breakfast, you know, yeah. Peter, and then he I think the original story is only about eight pages long. It's not, you know, 
it was a you know it was just one of many stories in amazing fantasy five yeah you know. but it gives you all these rooms like you know build and add and it's one of the fun things about the whole collaborative superhero genre is stuff gets piled and it's sort of amazing to realize that, oh, wait a second, you know, Daredevil Electro was not introduced until after the character was around for 20 years or so. You know, you know Harley Quinn did not come around until the 90s. Uh, Magneto's whole concentration camp backstory, which seems essential to the character now, popped up in the 80s. You know, the character was around for 20 years before that was part of his backstory, you know. Yeah, there are just these things that become staples over time to, to the point where it feels like they've been around from the beginning, which is kind of weird. Like occasionally, I even see people, why didn't they have Harley Quinn on the original 1960s TV series? <laughs> well, she wouldn't be a vengeance for another 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, now, now I'm trying to imagine what a 1960s Harley Quinn would have been on television back then. Like who would have played? I, I, I've her? actually thought about this, and okay, she should have been played by Tuesday Will, but okay, that, that's just me. But <laughs> and Anne Margaret should have played Poison Ivy. Okay, but all right, yeah, I've been meaning to watch more of that Adam West TV show. Like I saw bits of it as a kid when it was on Nick at Night, and I've seen clips here and there. But at some point, I want to watch the show from beginning to end, like you know, for fun. Again, I remember it debuting back in the day. And yeah, I can testify the fact that us kids back in the 60s did not pick up on the fact that it was campy. We took it utterly seriously. You know, um, the the cliche that, you know, the adults were laughing at the campiness and the kids were into this, the costumes and the gadgets and the Batmobile. Oh, yeah. I, I You know, oh, no, what's going to happen to Batman this week? You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it it definitely has its place in the whole, like, like the history of Batman and whatnot. Well, I think the nice thing is, and we're going on digressing here, I think we now have the luxury of appreciating it as its own thing. Now that the comic genre has moved on and it's not defining, there was a period there where you were a comic fan, you kind of had mixed feelings about the thing because it casts a very long shadow. For about a generation afterwards, there was the idea that the only way you could do comic books was you know, campy, and it was to the point where it was almost impossible to read an article in the mainstream media about comic books that didn't begin, zap, bam, pow, you know, holy collectability, you know, Batman. <laughs> you know. So when it defined comic books of Batman in the general media, we grumble, 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 whatever that, you know. But now, of course, we're post-Michael Keaton, you know, MCU. It's like, oh, we can enjoy it on its own terms again without having to explain that no, that it's not the sum total of Batman in the popular imagination, you know. Right. Since we've had multiple on-screen incarnations now, it's like the campier versions are not the final word. And it's like, if they're not for you, there are these other versions you can check exactly. out. For, for a while, it, there was a period where in outside of fandom, that was the image. You mentioned Batman. In fact, I remember going to see the 1989 movie with two different groups of friends. I went and saw it with some nerdy comic book friends and we were all oh my god this is great and thank god it's not a camp fest <laughs> you know then however this is interesting i went to go see it with some co-workers from the office and they came out of it kind of actually kind of bemused um where was the zap bam pows and <laughs> it, I, I, they honestly were kind of confused. they went expecting 
it wasn't as why why wasn't it funny? You know, that was what they expected. You know, but nowadays we're you know that's well in the past, and we were, we're you know seven or eight Batman's past that. You know, and any number of other superhero movies. You know, yeah. So I think Morbius, like this Morbius movie, definitely leans more toward in like the more serious uh, type of stuff than campy type of stuff. But it's not like the Dark Knight trilogy where they try to make it feel like it could happen in real life. Like they do have some science stuff, but they also like have like these supernatural elements in the movie, which I really appreciated. Um, they actually looked like they were playing at the horror elements. So in some ways it's perhaps they're more comparable to the Blade movies. Yeah. You know? I suspect a lot of people went and saw the Blade movies and had no idea it was based on a comic book, you know. Right. And, yeah, so Morbius begins, like, we get, like, this origin story of the character, how he had, like, this rare blood disease uh, ever since he was a kid. And, you know, he becomes a scientist and he tries to cure himself. And to do this, he goes to this, like, foreign place uh, where there's like a bat cave and like he gets out the knife and like does a cut on his hand and summons the bats and as cool as a shot as it is it's hard not to think of Batman when seeing that especially because like Jared Leto played a Joker in Suicide Squad and like I also remembered that like he and Christian Bale were both in American Psycho where Christian Bale uh, played Patrick Bateman and Bateman almost sounds like Batman. So <laughs> it's like while I was watching this movie, I had these like connections in mind. And, and I was also trying to like let the movie distract me from the fact that it's Jared Leto because I didn't like the behind the scenes stuff I heard about Suicide Squad. But I think the movie did a decent enough, um, like the movie did a decently good job of making me like focus more on the story than and like buy into like yeah this is the character Morbius and not think too much about like the actor I guess. Well, I think when it comes to you know Batman is it, it invariably it's going to be hard to do a superhero who gets his powers from bat blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not you know and indeed the whole vampire Batman thing it's well you know Batman runs around in a black cape and he's dresses as a bat it's there's a bit of a Dracula vibe going there, and this now it kind of circles around. It's kind of like you know, Batman has kind of a vampire vibe, and and then you get oh oh you've got a dark comic book superhero who gets his powers from radioactive bat blood or whatever, and well okay you know you you're, you're going to have some thematic you know I'll bet you he's going to you know you're going to have him lurking in the dark and you know striking terror and, you know like Batman because. Batman's a bat, and Morbius is really a bat, and, you know. Yeah, one of Batman's earliest foes was this vampire called the Monk. Like, it was kind of a weird story, because, you know, the Monk was like a vampire, and he could turn into a wolf, if I remember correctly. Um, and it ends with, like, Batman using a gun to, like, shoot him and his assistant, who's also a vampire, to death, and it's it's like weird to think about now in this day and age where people are like, oh, Batman should not use a gun and whatnot. So, like, if I were ever to make a Batman 
series or film series or whatever. I mean, this is never going to happen. But if I were, like, given control of something like that, I would include the monk early on <laughs> and make it so that, like, you know, Batman does use a gun on him and also Hugo Strange's monster man, like he does in the comics. But that would be, like, a part of his development where he's, like, it does not feel good to, like, shoot these monsters like they're monsters but they used to be people and like i'll never use a gun again and that would be like part of his development like i think that'd be pretty cool to see i'm still waiting for a live action man bat yes but you know who you know to see in the movies someday but again and indeed we could argue staying on topic that indeed so you know batman man bat Morbius. Okay, so, you know, got a guy who gets his powers from bats, you know. It's interesting. Whereas Blade, I mentioned, I think a lot of people went and saw Blade because it was a great kick-ass vampire movie, not because of the comic book connection. It's hard to miss from the trailer that there's, you know, you know, from in conjunction with Marvel, from the studio that brought you Venom, you know. It is, yeah. <laughs> he's a Spider-Man villain. Look, you know, so... It's funny that the, the days, you know, so that's actually a selling point these days that he's in fact got He's a vampire, and he's a comic book character, and he's a Marvel character. Yeah, like Marvel and DC are like the mainstream nowadays, which I just love, you know. And oh yeah, it, 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 it's for those of us who, like I said, grew up. It, it, this stuff was esoteric. It was like, wow, if I could go back in time and tell twelve-year-old Greg that one day, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp would be getting a movie that the Scarlet Witch and the Vision would have their own TV show. We're not talking, you know, okay, you know, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, whatever. No, you know, oh my God, we're getting, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy movies, Doctor Strange movies, and these are big deals, and everyone in the universe knows who Groot is. And Morbius, I mean, honestly, you, I would have, you know, back in the 70s, the idea that a character like Morbius, who, like I said, a favorite character, personal favorite, but let's be honest, was never a household name the way the Hulk or Spider-Man or Wonder Woman was. The idea that, my God, Morbius is getting his own feature movie. You know, what era are we living in? Okay. Yeah. I have been waiting my entire lifetime for this pop cultural moment to come alive. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, we've gotten to a point where they're exploring more niche characters. Like, even Peacemaker, um, who's going to be in the next Suicide Squad movie, is getting his own TV series on HBO Max and it's going to be played by John Cena. So that's pretty wild. Uh, A friend of mine, Paul Kupperberg, who used to write Peacemaker was, you know, uh, gloating about it, was was enjoying (laughs) very much today, you know, um, on Facebook. But yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that is still boggled that, oh my God, they just, you know, and, you know, and and all the, also the whole DC TV universe. Oh my God, it's Brainiac 5, it's, you know... And they did Crisis Duo on Infinite Earths. or it's... Yeah, like, it, it, yes, a TV production of, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths. I mean, at this point, I'm not going to rule out anything. I mean, yeah. Manphibian could be getting his own series. You know, um, Gardens of the Galaxy are the extreme case. I remember Gardens of the Galaxy are not... We're never, you know, prior to recent years, prior to Star-Lord becoming Chris Pratt, you know... Star-Lord was pretty damn obscure character. You know, Gamora, Star-Lord, you know, Groot, Rocket Raccoon, these are all pretty obscure characters, you know. Suddenly there are household names and there's lunchboxes and beach towels, you know. 
Yeah, we even have like the Doom Patrol TV show and even Animal Vegetable Mineral Man or whatever he's called appears in it. Like they're just leaning into like the weirdness of it. And I love it. Uh, the Stargirl series, which I'm loving, very deeply rooted in comic book, you know, DC lore and the Justice Society in America. And there was a reference, for God's sakes, what was her name? Uh, Mary Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks. I think, did they just reference Mary Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks? Yeah. It was a pretty damn obscure, you know, golden age DC heroine. You know, wow. I, I never thought I would actually see Mary Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks referenced on a mainstream television series in prime time, you know. Yeah, And I will not rest until we actually get a flashback that shows Merry Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's possible, like, like they've surprised us with a lot, so you never know. Well, you know, that's kind of the exciting things about Morbius is, you know, wow, if we're getting Morbius, well, who's next and what can they do in, you know, future Morbius movies? I mean, does this mean we're going to... I mentioned that there was this whole Marvel monster boom in the 70s, you know, if we're getting Morbius, well, can Werewolf by Night, can Satana, the Devil's Daughter, you know, can, you know, I joke about the man Fibian, who was Marvel's version of the Creature of the Black Lagoon, who's my go-to whenever I want to drag a really obscure Marvel character out of the ether and show <laughs> off my Marvel cred. But, you know, wow, Monster of Frankenstein, you know, some, you know, Werewolf by Night, Man-Wolf, you mentioned Man-Wolf. Yeah. In fact, is J. Jonah Jameson's son, so he's got the whole Spider-Man connection going there. Probably only a matter of time until we get Man-Wolf, you know. There was Lilith, daughter of Dracula. There was, you know, um, and, 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 I'm, and I'm sure we're going to get a revival of Blade at some point, you know. They, they, they've even cast the new Blade. It's been announced. Yeah, I, I think his last name is Ali. I forget what his first name is, though. He has a very long name, which, unfortunately, I'm reluctant to try to pronounce out loud but yeah no he was the guy he's a really great actor he was on the 4400 years ago and his sense went on to like do a acclaimed academy award-winning movies and things and yeah i i'm too much of a wimp to try to actually pronounce his multi-syllabic first name you know yeah i looked his name up recently and even looked up the pronunciation but i forgot it so but like I said, no, he's great. I, I remember him, like I said, these days, I don't think anyone else remembers him as the guy from the 4400 because no one remembers the 4400 anymore. And he's since gone on to bigger and better things in major motion pictures and Academy Award nominations and award Academy. I think he's actually won a couple Oscars, at least, you know. I, I wrote this, some of the 4400 novels back in the day, so I remember writing his character. So he's still the 4400 guy to me. So uh, nice. Were they 4400 pages total? <laughs> <laughs> Much shorter than that, actually. Oh. I was not writing uh, four thousand page books. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be something. Those, 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 those would be impressive tie novels. Okay, you know. <laughs> okay, so getting back to the Morbius movie. Uh, so he experiments on himself, and he also has a fiance named Martine, Martine. Bancroft. Um. And so, like, she's so somewhat supportive, but also, like, questioning whether what he is doing is safe. But he just, like, really wants to cure himself. And, like, at first, it seems like he is cured. But then, like, the next morning, he, like, gets up and walks over to the mirror. And 
he doesn't see his reflection. And like this scene right here spawned some really funny memes. Like you'd have like a screenshot of Morbius looking in the mirror and there's like no reflection and people would comment, oh, it's Drax in the mirror or it's Invisible Woman or it's John Cena and just stuff like that. And that was pretty funny. It's, okay, that's funny. Back in the original comics, the stick was he was a scientific vampire. He was a living vampire because he was created by a science experiment. So they didn't. Do, he didn't have the supernatural stuff. Uh, crosses didn't affect him. He had a reflection. All the the, the magic stuff wasn't there. He, the whole thing was he was the sci-fi vampire. Right. And I think originally that was more that was Marvel. Like I said, being a little hesitant about stepping fully into the gothic horror realm because of the Comic Code Authority. But, you know, the shtick was that there, you know, there were regular vampires like Dracula and Lilith and such. And then he was the living vampire. And, yeah, he needed blood and he was sensitive to, you know, ah. but he couldn't turn into a bat and he wasn't scared of holy water or anything, you know. Right. Um, but we do see, like, later in the movie that he gets, like, his face becomes bat-like, which is yeah. really cool to see. What what do you think of how his face looked during those moments? That glimpse we see of him when he turns around in the cure. Yeah, he, that that's like, you know, that that's the that's your classic Morbius look with the pale white face and the fangs, and that that that's from the cover of any number of, you know, Morbius comics. Eventually, he obtains a point where he looks like the character from the comics, which is great. Yeah, it's like very gratifying to see stuff go directly from the page to the screen like that. He has these abilities, like he. I guess he has, like, high speed and agility, I think is how they described it. Um, and, of course, he's also hungry for, like, blood, like vampires would be. And so, needless to say, he's very concerned about these cravings. <laughs> this, is a, this is an unnecessary side effect, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you get, like, a medicine bottle that that's titled vampirism it'd be like side effects may include hunger for blood or something like that i don't know i'm suddenly envisioning one of those pharmaceutical commercials you see all the time which always end with a horrible terrible you know some sufferers may suffer from painful bleeding and you know may end to loss of life insanity and cannibalism or whatever so in this case <laughs> it's like you know you know cures your blood disease Side effects may include an uncontrollable lust for human blood and, you know, pallid skin and fangs, you know, and orthodontic issues. <laughs> right. Yeah, so Morbius also has this friend named Locious Crown, and he also had, like, the same blood disease that he has, and um, he asked Morbius if he can, like, use what he used on himself, but, like, Morbius is, like, trying to hide the fact that he's... A, a vampire now and he's like warning him that like oh the cure is no good and he's and, but like Locius is like very desperate and like eventually he like breaks in to the lab and like tries using the cure on himself and he himself becomes a vampire um and he's played by Matt Smith which I thought was cool because like there's uh, a scene where he, he says aloud what is lurking in the brain of Morbius? And Brain of Morbius is the title of an old Doctor Who serial from the... Oh, sentence. God, I never made that connection. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. What would you think of yeah, was... Matt Smith's performance? 
Well, it's interesting. I, I, the, I'm less familiar with Philoxia's character. I actually looked him up last night. Apparently, he was introduced back in 1997. So this goes to that we were talking about things get added on to him. Um, I'm, you know, I think who, I admit, I was sort of like, who is this Loxian Crown guy? I guess I missed the storyline in 1997. He, he wasn't in the original version of the origin back in the 70s. But yeah, I don't know. There's this cool, hey, and that gives you real, you know, sci-fi cred bringing in a Doctor Who, no less, you know. So, and, and it makes sense, again, instead of, if you want to have Morbius, if you're going to have a hero who's a monster, the way to make him sympathetic, probably more sympathetic and more heroic is to introduce a monster who is even worse. You know, you, you, you need an evil worse vam living vampire to make, to a, give Mor Morbius a challenge and to make Morbius perhaps look a little bit better, you know. Yeah, because Locius, um, I mean, he eventually calls himself Hunger because, like, there's a moment where he's like, I have an insatiable hunger. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's very on the nose, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And he, like, goes after, like, just anyone, even if they're innocent people, whereas Morbius is trying to, like, only go after bad people in this movie. Um and so they have to kind of go toe to toe. And like Morbius also has this mentor played by Jared Harris, and he's trying to keep his advice in mind and trying to be like a good person and whatnot. And all the while, there are these two FBI agents, um, Alberto Rodriguez and Simon Stroud, who are like doing this manhunt against Morbius when they find evidence of like like the crime scene where like the very criminals whose blood has been like taken and whatnot. And like, there's a scene with these FBI agents where like they're talking in a gray room and it has like that noir feel to it. Did you get those vibes as well? Well, you know, anytime you're getting like, sort of into sort of the sort of dark, creepier end of things, you sort of like a blade, like I said, we're, we're, what we are doing here is, you know, with characters like Morbius and Blade, you're kind of straddling the line between horror and the sort of the darkiness and 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 superhero colorful superhero adventure. And so it's gonna and a very thing with Batman again, Batman can be fighting, you know, Martians with the Justice League, or you can go for a very dark noir detective look. So, you know, back characters who are running around in dark in the shadows, dark shadows. Oh my goodness, vampires again. Yes. You know. <laughs> I, I was also getting a bit of a, 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 there's the Underworld movies, which were sort of contemporary, which were also sort of on one level action movies, but also had the same sort of muted color scheme and dark and vampires in, le in, in leather fighting each other and action. And, you know, so I, I was getting a bit of a Underworld vibe. Right. And you've written Underworld related stuff, right? I, I I wrote the novelizations of the first three Underworld movies and as well as one solo Underworld novel. So yeah, Underworld was a big part of my life. But yeah, Underworld is another movie that works as a horror movie and as sort of a, as opposed to say your traditional vampire, a lot of an action movie. There's a lot of, you know, jumping around. And indeed, Celine, who's the protagonist of the Underworld movies, is, 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 is arguably a superhero. She's got superpowers. She runs around in a type of a suit. She smashes through windows, you know, fights werewolves, you know, and has super strength and does even your, your classic superhero landing of sort of jumping off buildings and landing, three-point landing and everything. So I wouldn't be surprised if, like I said, those movies, if, if Morbius is, again, kind of, you know, action movie superhero 
comic book adventure movie, but also of a horror pulp, you know, noir feel to it, you know. And like I said, that worked for Blade, that worked for the Underworld movies. Yeah, it's got a good mix of, like, different genres in it. Like, it has a great vibe to it. And there are also these, like, connections to other Marvel things. Like, when Morbius is on the run, you see, like, in the alley, there's, like, some graffiti and, like, there's, like, a picture of Spider-Man and, like, the word murder is, like, written over <laughs> it. So that's, like, a reference to the end of Far From Home. And uh, eventually Morbius finds somewhat of an ally in Adrian Toomes, uh, a.k.a. the Vulture, <laughs> although they kind of don't say his name out loud right away. Like, they're, this is kind of a weird movie because it feels like there's some parts that were shot when they weren't sure what they could reference and parts that were shot when they were sure what they could reference. Like, whenever... Wait, 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 are you saying that Michael Keaton is not playing Bruce Wayne in this movie? <laughs> right. Oh, oh, Jared, right, okay. Jared Leto facing another Batman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, you, you, you see, you, you can't get away from Batman, okay? <laughs> right. You got... Oh, look, it's the Joker talking to Batman. Okay, oh, wait, no, 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 it's Morbius talking to a, a to Michael Keaton playing... Vulture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this this the casting really messes with our heads in this movie, but yeah. And, no, you're not my Joker, you know. Right. Oh yeah, well, you're not my Batman. Okay. Yeah, like this is its own crisis on infinite earths type of thing. Yeah, it's kind of weird because there are scenes where um Morbius is talking to him, but like whenever it shows him talking to him, it shows like the back of his head with his hood up. So it feels like these were shot in two different locations, which is weird. But when he talks to Michael Keaton, um, like, he basically makes this reference to, like, the MCU, uh, where he's like, one moment you're in prison, and then snaps his fingers, and then he's like, just like that, a few years later, you're right outside of prison, finally free. And I guess that's, like, a reference to, like, Maybe he got snapped by Thanos, and when he reappeared, he was, like, right outside of the prison and got free. So I thought that was pretty funny. Well, like I said, uh, in terms of these connections, I I would almost, you know, lay odds that when we get to Morbius 2, the adventure continues, you know, that Man-Wolf is going to show up. Because not only is Man-Wolf another Marvel monster character... He is a Marvel monster character who is specifically tied into the Spider-Man mythos since he's J. Jonah Jameson's son, you know. So how they could resist, you know, tying, again, as into, you know, are we, are we looking at a Morbius-Venom crossover at some points or a even a down-the-road, a, you know, Marvel supervillain Avengers movie where you know right. Morbius teams up with Venom, who teams up with Man Wolf and Hunger or whoever is the you know. I guess when it comes to bringing in Marvel monster characters, as I understand the legalities, they're they're kind of limited to the ones who are linked to Spider Man specifically, and who maybe first appeared in Spider Man, which would be Man Wolf, Venom, you know, the, the more mon. Hey, you know, there's the lizard, you know, you can do the lizard. Yeah. You know? The lizard's another Marvel monster. 
Uh, and in fact, technically, actually, historically, going back, Morbius's very second appearance, which was in you know Amazing Spider-Man number one hundred two, was a three-way battle between Spider-Man, Morbius, and the Lizard. So there's a, there's a whole history there, you know. Oh, nice. Mor- Morbius was fighting the Lizard by his second appearance, you know. Yeah, and I know you haven't seen the Venom movie. I have been remiss. <laughs> But uh, Jameson's uh, son, who's an astronaut, does appear in that movie, albeit unconscious, if I recall correctly. Well, in that case, like, they've already laid the groundwork, as, as we all know, Jay, you know, uh, he, he becomes Man-Wolf. So the character's already right there, you know. Yeah, they could totally do that. Yeah, and it, it, it would be almost be surprising if, you know, you know, I, I think the odds are good because they've got the character. He's a Spider-Man villain. He's a monster. They, you know, you've got the connection to Spider-Man already. He's, you've got the, and in fact, indeed, in the comics, Morbius and Man-Wolf have butted heads on occasion. You know, and I wouldn't be, you know, so fine. You know, the the Dark Spider-Man Villain Alliance. You know, yeah. You you end. Just, I, we were joking the other day. You end. You have to end. You know, a Morbius movie with a post-credit sequence where, hi, I want to talk to you about the Midnight Suns initiative, you know. Right. Or the Legion of Monsters initiative, which was another... So now I'm trying to think, okay, what other Marvel characters? I, I guess, uh, you know, there's they keep talking about a Black Cat movie. Uh, you could, yeah, you know, like... You know, Black Cats are kind of... She's not a monster. Black, cat and Black Cats are spooky, Halloween, which is so... Let's, let's team Morbius up with the Black Cat and Venom and Man, and Man Wolf. And the lizard. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Spider-Man villains are kind of monstery, honestly, Dr. Octopus, the scorpion. They haven't got to the scorpion yet, no. Right, like Matt Gorgon yeah. appears at the very end of Homecoming, so maybe he'll appear. God, you're right, yeah. Yeah. And he's the scorpion. Right. Yeah, so that could be interesting. Uh, so Morbius and Michael Keaton gets like his vulture technology. It looks different from how it looks in Homecoming, but it's like, you know, he can fly and whatnot. And they team up to like fight against Locious Crown. And what did you think of how this final fight sequence went down? I, again, like I said, my my inner twelve year old is thrilled to see. Oh my God! It's Morbius teaming up with the Vulture. Oh my God! You know. I, I don't have the same con- emotional connection to um, Hunger because he was a different era of Morbius comics. But you, you got to have a big climax, and I, I'm glad that, like I said, that you know you want to get you don't want the whole thing to suffer from originitis where you don't only get the classic Morbius at the end. So nice to see Morbius in full Morbius mode in action there for one for for the big finale and everything. Yeah, because Hunger was about to like take down the FBI agents, but luckily, like, Vulture and Morbius intervened, and I really love the sequence where they're, like, flying around through the city, and it's just really intense fight, and the setting looked dark, but it wasn't too dark to the point where you couldn't make out what was going on, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's kind of a beef I have with other movies, but I think they handled it pretty well here. And sometimes it's just a matter of sort of the the coloring. Like the underworld movies have this sort of blue bluish tone to them, you know. That sort of you know. But yeah, you can usually see what's going on. That the bluishness implies that okay, you're not going to see a hint of sunlight in this movie, you know. 
not a lot of bright colors, you know. Right. But aside from, of course, brilliant blood red, of course. Yeah, there was definitely some blood in the movie, but yeah, I, I thought they handled that very well. Like it wasn't, well, it wasn't too gory. Yeah, like it wasn't like just blood for the sake of blood. It was in like moments where like it made sense to like show that yeah, these are vampires. This is what they do, and this is these are the stakes. Uh, pun He's intended. Got blood smeared all over his face and jaw, sloppily. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's it's hard to do a vampire movie without showing blood. Although they managed to do it back in the forties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those days are past, yeah. But yeah, I'm sure that was sort of, okay, how much blood can we actually show in a Marvel Comics superhero movie? You know, since they don't tend to go for extreme gore. But it would it would be great to see Blade pop up. But again, I'm not sure the legal licensing issues there. I don't, I don't think Sony has access to Blade. Because Blade did not first appear in Spider-Man. Blade first appeared in Tomb of Dracula. He started out as a supporting character in Marvel's Dracula series. I never knew that. I thought he like had might have had his own series, but that's really interesting that that's where he yeah. popped up. They, they, they tried periodically to spin him off, but he started out as a supporting character in an issue of as one of several vampire hunters chasing after Dracula in the old Tomb of Dracula series by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan. Huh. Yeah, I'll have to read some more Blade if I ever get the chance at some point. Well, the funny thing, Blade honestly, I honestly went on to be a bigger deal, I think, in movies than he ever, ever was in the comics. I don't think Blade, I like the character. I, I wrote Blade fan fiction as a kid. I think I wrote a Morbius versus Blade story. But, you know, in all honesty, Blade never blew the comic book world away. I doubt there was ever a Blade comic book series that lasted more than six issues, you know. Um, but boy, he found big success in, in the movies. Arguably the first successful Marvel movie, honestly, predating X-Men. Yeah, because it came out in 1998, so it predated X-Men by a couple years. It's probably actually the first successful, we we do not speak of Howard the Duck, it was the (laughs) first successful big Marvel movie, you know. Yeah, Howard the Duck is kind of a guilty pleasure for me. (laughs) I think it has some funny moments, but I can see how it falls short for uh, like other people because like you used to read howard the duck or maybe you still do i don't know so you probably know more about the character than i do well I, at this point i'm going to be one of the snotty folks who went inside i i love the original comic book by steve gerber so yeah when i saw the movie it was like they ruined the comic book <laughs> you know i i'm sure if you see it on its own terms at an impressionable age it's a fun movie I was a, I, I was in my twenties, and oh my god, they dumbed down my favorite comic book. You know, <laughs> shaking my head angrily and indignantly. You know, but you know, no. Howard the Duck was the only comic book I ever actually subscribed to by mail because, for whatever reason, you could not find it in my neck of the woods uh, growing up. It wasn't at Seven Eleven on the on the spin racks. This was before the days of specialty comic book stores. So I finally got. I was just trying to follow it continuously. I knew one or two little mom and pop stores that had it. I broke down and actually subscribed and I got the issue by mail because, and I don't know why, but you know, it was a mainstream Marvel comic, but it, it did not get displayed at drugstores in 7-Elevens along with Avengers, Captain America, and indeed, you know, Morbius, you know. So yes, but I was a big Howard the Duck fan in the 70s. I even had my, Howard the Duck for President campaign button, you know, and I've 
<laughs> I, I was disillusioned by the movie because it was like this cliche, but I was one of the ones who went, I was the, it's not like the comic book. And I, you know, <laughs> that was my, I'll be honest, I haven't seen the movie. Uh, when did it come out? 1984? 86, I think. I have not seen the movie since it first opened. And at the time, I, you know, took my Howard the comic books very seriously and I was offended by the movie. And <laughs> I have not revisited it. Although, true concern, I actually saw the movie twice in the theaters only because a girl I liked wanted to see the movie too. So, <sighs> okay, fine. <You> know, <laughs> the, the, the things we do on dates, you know. Um, to, to me, they kidified it, you know. Um, but. I was in my 20s. Okay, you know. Yeah, I think I was in high school when I watched it, actually. And then I watched oh. it again a few years later, I think. Yeah. So, I, like you, I've only seen it twice, I think. Yeah. So, I, I'm reluctant to, you know, discourse too much. I'm remembering my, my, my impression of the movie from close to 40 years ago, you know. Um, yeah. So perhaps I should revisit it one of these days, you know. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. I did think it was hilarious when Howard the Duck showed up at the very end oh. of Guardians of the Galaxy. Like that was like one of the best post-credit scenes. Oh, ever. that was wonderful. And that's again, I, I love the fact that the Marvel movies and indeed even the DC TV shows these days are casting a wide. Oh my God, Howard the Duck! You know, he's you know rehabilitated at last. You know, and bringing in all these sort of you know esoteric characters. You know. Yeah, and did you see the Shazam movie from last year? Yeah, I enjoyed the Shazam movie. Yeah, I, I just loved how, like, that scene at the end, they just brought Mr. Mind, and it's like, lots of people probably yeah. don't know what's going on, but I love it. <laughs> no, exactly, that won me over. Honestly, I was waiting the whole movie, hoping to God, I just love the concept of Mr. Mind. And I was just, please, God, let they throw in a... I was, I was hoping for that, and okay... I walk out the door happy. You gave me, oh my God, you gave me an evil worm. You know, that, yeah. that's what I wanted. You know, you, 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 you've got your roots here. You know, and they teased Black Adam and, you know. Yeah. I just love how the pendulum has like swung to the point where we can have like these dark and serious comic book movies alongside these like campier well, ones. I love it. Like, that, that you have a more weird ones. <laughs> There's not just one definitive, like I said, it was kind of bad back when, you know, the old days at West when there were lots of, oh, we have to be campy. No, these days, you know. Like there's variety now. It's, it's like Westerns these days. These days, superhero movies, comic book movies, you've got dark and serious, you've got funny and goofy, you've got wild, spectacular space opera, you've got grim and, you know, moody batman movies you know weird stuff like legion and everything and and again that, that they're just wow ransacking 80 years of comic book history yeah. and everything is fair game um i remember in the 70s i used to get very upset because there was a wave of marvel comics adaptations on cbs the incredible hulk spider-man captain america etc and back then they seemed to be kind of running away from their comic book roots they almost always kind of see vaguely embarrassed by their comic book because we got to tone down the comic bookiness, you know. Part of that was a budget thing, but, you know, you'd read the Incredible Hulk comic book and he'd be fighting aliens and vampire, aliens and monsters and giant robots. And then, you know, you'd watch the TV show and, oh, he's dealing with teenage runaways and corrupt businessmen, you know. <laughs> you know where's the leader? Where's the abomination? Why yes. should he be shrunken <laughs> and sent down to a microverse, for God's sakes? That was my response in the 70s. And we have at least moved beyond that. The, nowadays, oh, well, God, you know, 
Infinity War, every superhero you can think of, and aliens and strange dimensions and, you know, time travel and talking raccoons. And, you know, I was watching Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. one night, and it was a throwaway night, but they referenced Hell Cow. Do you remember Hell Cow? I've seen every episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I've forgotten some of it. Well, it was a throwaway line of dialogue where somebody was going through a file and, what the hell is a Hell Cow? Oh. Hell Cow was a cow, an actual cow, who was bitten by Dracula one night when he was 13 <laughs> and couldn't find a young virgin, and was turned into a vampire cow, complete with a black cape. And this is an actual Marvel character who has appeared, first appeared in Howard the Duck, by the way. And who has made appearing? So I think, oh my God, they actually referenced Hell Cow. That's a deep dive. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I had to sort of pause and do the hit the rework. Did they just reference Hell Cow? But who knows? Maybe we'll actually see Hell Cow someday. You know? Yeah, maybe they could put him in the next Morbius movie if they can work out licensing. <laughs> I, I somehow think that Hell Cow may not be the right vibe. <laughs> dark, noir, you know, spooky, Morbius. Right, that, that's fair. Like I said, Hell Cow first appeared in Howard the Duck. Right. It was an adversary of Howard the Duck. So, but, you know, if and when we get a you know, new Howard the Duck TV series or movies, let's bring in Hell Cow. Yeah, I'd be down You can almost that. see Hell Cow popping up in, you know, for God's sakes, a Guardians of the Galaxy movie or something, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like now that, um, like, these studios are embracing the comic bookiness more like yeah. you know the horror and the like uh spacey stuff and everything in between it's like now people can like look back at some of the like you said the cbs stuff and just like watch it and maybe appreciate it still knowing that they're not like yeah. the final word on like on-screen adaptations yeah. Like, I enjoyed the Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby, Incredible Hulk series when I watched it several years ago. I enjoyed the original movie. I enjoyed the show, but there was the comic book in me with, fan was always kind of frustrated by the, those CBS things because they were never as larger in life, you know, ambitious as it's, or as far out in comic booky as the comic books I was reading at the time, you know. And honestly, I had the same response to the old George Reeves series. I, I watched the George Reeves Superman series, you know, religiously as a kid, but there was always a part of me, well, where's Brainiac? Where's the Bottle City of Candor? Where is the Phantom Zone? My own, I love the far out comic booky stuff. I was always like, well, you know, I always felt like the CBS stuff is like, well, what's the point of having the Hulk if you're going to stick it into a plot that you could do on Mannix or, you know, Barnaby Jones? Right. Like, I did like the how they handled the fugitive on the run angle and emphasize yeah. how like at the end of it all, even after he's like done some good, he's still kind of a lonely man. So they got that down pretty yeah. well, but and, yeah. like people would be missing like the larger than life type of stuff. But like now we're in an age where we're, we're kind of spoiled, which is great. <laughs> no, on, on its own terms, and they made an executive decision on the hope that they were going to, for whatever reason, also just budget that they were going to do what they did, and it actually worked on its own terms. I'm just saying the, you know, the teenage Marvel Comics fan of me was always frustrated. Well, where's the leader? Where's the abomination? But the great thing is now we do live in a day where you can watch a whole movie and there is the leader and the abomination. And for God's sakes, you know, you're watching a Black Panther movie and it's Manape. Oh my God, they brought in Manape. They didn't call him that, but it's Manape. And oh God, Claw and you know, yeah. Aquaman. 
I, I love the Aquaman movie. This is because, in fact, the great thing about the Aquaman movie is, again, we now live in an era when they're embracing all the most ridiculous parts of the comic book. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love the way the, the, the Aquaman took, movie in particular was genius to me in that it took all the stuff that everybody makes fun of the character and then shows just how cool it was. It's like, yeah, I ride a seahorse in the battle. I talk to fish. I wear shiny orange armor. <laughs> you got a problem with that? You know? <laughs> yeah, like I've, I've read the Aquaman comics from the New 52 era, and I'm making my way through the one from 1994 that I think was written by Peter David, and those are like mm -hmm. a more serious interpretation, but I, by that same token, I also really love the cartoon Batman, the Brave and the Bold, where it has like the yeah. campy, over-the-top Aquaman, and it's just funny, and it's great that we have multiple versions of these characters. There's a bit at the end of the Aquaman movie where Ocean Master, his villain, and again, we're getting a movie about the lost city of Atlantis and giant sea monsters, and it's that the ages of the days of you know Bill Bixby realism are gone. You know, at the end, Ocean Master puts on a costume that is the costume from the comic book, and I didn't realize how much I had been sort of holding my breath, waiting the whole movie for you know his evil brother Orin to oh god, it's the yeah, it's the Ocean Master helmet. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you gotta hold your breath because much of the movie is underwater. <laughs> <laughs> unless you have gills. You know. Oh, true. Or unless your name is Gil. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, the one character, we are digressing wildly here, but the one character I keep waiting for in the Superman, you know what character they've never done on screen to date? Who? When is Lori Lamaris, Clark Kent's old mermaid girlfriend, going to get her moment in the sun? You know. Yeah. I'm not even sure if I've heard of this character. Well, she's been I kind of forgotten. No, it is official DC lore that in between Lana Lang and Lois Lane, Clark Kent's college girlfriend was a mermaid from Atlantis. Oh, wow. Okay, I admit this is a bit far out. There's perhaps a reason that every single live-action Superman movie has, you know, has skipped over. No, look her up. Lori Lamaris. Uh, she was his college girlfriend. She was a mermaid. And I remember, be, I, I still kind of like, was, you know, resent Smallville in that, like, wait a minute, we got 10 years of young Clark Kent and you couldn't squeeze Laurie Lamaris into one episode, you know? Yeah. Uh, what was the poor mermaid got to do to get some love here, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on Smallville, I, I'm of the opinion that they spend too much time on Lana Lang, but I digress. But, you know, it's, it, it is, it, don't look her up, she's true, but yeah, I, I realize it's a bit of a stretch and you're trying to do a Superman movie. We will forgive Richard Donner for leaving the mermaid out. But, <laughs> you know. but at this point, it's like, oh, come on. Now these things are crazy enough. It's like, you know, on the, come on, on the CW show, come on, we can get Laurie Lamaris in here. We, you know, we're getting everybody else, you know. Who knows? Maybe the new, if I was in charge of the world, we're getting the new, uh, Clark and Lois TV series. Yeah, Superman and Lois. I, you know, right. Damn it, I want an episode where they run into his old girlfriend, the mermaid. Okay. That'd be, <laughs> you know. I'd be so down L for that. L Lori Lamaris has been waiting for 50 years now to, make, to get her, <laughs> you know, spotlight. And those shows are just wacky enough. Again, we've yeah. CW shows. I love them because, again, they're like, you know, oh, the Flash's arch enemy is a giant telepathic gorilla. Go with it, you know. Infinite Earths, whatever. And Legends of Tomorrow, which I love, is just sublimely 
we're, we're, yeah, oh my god. Yeah, that's, grabbing that's my favorite Arrowverse show because it embraces the ridiculousness to the full extent. <laughs> so, like I said, given that it's the same, let's let's hope that maybe Superman and Lois. I mean, how can you resist throwing in a, a mermaid episode? I mean, even Charmed did a mermaid episode. <laughs> right. But yes, Lori Lamaras unfortunately tends to get swept under the rug. But you know, look her up; she's canon. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, I'm looking at the. <laughs> wikipedia article of her right now i'll go ahead and link that in the show notes for this as far as i know she's never even got an action figure oh that's unfortunate yes oh apparently she made a cameo appearance in young justice i i love that show but i guess i never noticed oh okay yeah uh but anyway getting back to morbius um... (laughs) (laughs) there are no mermaids yeah i was grossly disappointed that there were no mermaids in morbius (laughs) I think in the sequel, Martine should try to inject herself with radioactive fish blood. <laughs> and then she can become the living mermaid. Yeah, that, that'd be pretty wacky. <laughs> so yeah, the movie ends with um, Hunger getting like defeated after this brutal battle. And they like lock him up and whatnot. So I don't know, maybe he'll come back in a sequel possibly because i mean it's matt smith how can you resist not bringing matt smith back like lots of people love him we even get like this scene at the end where like morbius is looking up at a rooftop and he's talking about how people who know that he's a vampire will continue trying to hunt him and like there's speculation that this silhouette on the rooftop might be blade but maybe they're not sure if they can confirm it yet and it kind of like mirrors that deleted scene from the first Blade movie that ends with Blade looking up at a rooftop, and it's supposed to be Morbius up there. So I think it'd be. Cool. I did not. I actually did not know about it. You actually told me about that. I did not realize they had originally intended to have Morbius pop up at the end of Blade. I'll have to check out that deleted scene one of these days. Yeah, I found it on YouTube a while back. But yeah, so I don't know. It'd be cool if they could get like Morbius and Blade together in a movie like i think that'd be a cool way of like uniting the they have a history in the comics yeah and it's like you know a vampire and like the day walker um yeah it just feels like a natural fit and it'd make a great on-screen story they're both kind of quasi vampires yeah and we also get like this uh post-credit scene where like you know michael keaton slash Vulture. I keep calling him Michael Keaton because that's how I see him. But yeah, he like he's acquired like the formula or whatever to like you know Morbius's experiments and whatnot, and he injects himself with like Vulture DNA and like starts turning into like a man Vulture type of thing. I thought that was a really weird. Uh, what is that with. story with that mysterious cave? Anyway, there must be more to it. In you know. The, cave that Morbius goes to where you get to get his bad experience, you know. Morbius, unless I'm missing something, doesn't have a really established archvillain. Who are Morbius's archvillains? I can't really come up with them. He's, you know, been around for a zillion years, and but, oh, I can't really come up, you know, it's like, okay, Fantastic Four, Doctor Doom, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and Hunger, obviously, was a major enemy of his, you know, but that's interesting, because like, usually it's like, okay, I can't, maybe another Morbius expert could chime in at some point, but I don't think he actually has, you know, who knows, maybe Venom, maybe Man Wolf, or I don't think he's ever had in this recent wave of Morbius comics 
what had a female vampire hunter who blames him for the death of her father and she's trained herself to become to become the world's greatest vampire hunter. At least that was the plot line they were doing in the comic books. Maybe they were can ransack that idea too, you know. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, is there like anything else you would hope to see in a Morbius sequel? Hmm, good thoughts. Like I said, I've always expressed like I said, we'd like to see Blade, we'd like to see well, like I said, I, I'm curious to see what they do with Martine going on. Does she become his adversary? Does she get turned into a monster or a vampire? In the comic book, she's been all over the place. She's been damsel in distress. She's been evil, you know, evil femme fatale. She's been, you know, heroic scientist trying to cure him. There's all sorts of ways to go. Who knows, you know? Right, because, like, at the end of this movie, we're, like, not sure where Morbius stands with her, really. It's kind of ambiguous. Right. And where does she stand with the fact, oh, well, you know, you're a bloodthirsty, murderous vampire. But, <laughs> yeah, it know. might be a deal breaker for the engagement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but no, I'll find you, I'll find you, and I'll find the cure. I'll never give up on you. There's, you know, so, and who knows, like, they, they, can, they can combine characters, they can bring her in and turn her into a villainess or something, you know. They can conflate her with the character, with the new character. Well, honestly, in the new comic books, at first I thought when they brought in the evil female vampire hunter that she was going to turn out to be, surprise, she's Martine, but apparently she isn't. You know, um, <laughs> I've actually lost track of the continuity. I think in the comic books, she's died, come back, died, come back. She's the, you know, Gwen Stacy of Morbius or something. <laughs> you know, and it would be great, of course, if, you know, of course, what they have to do, and okay, I'm being silly here. Bring in Spider-Man. The very first, the very first Morbius story, issue 101, took place during that short-lived period when Peter Parker had six arms. <laughs> he had, you know, no, literally at the end of issue 100, he took a potion to try to like. It gave him, in fact, six arms. So Sp Spider-Man had six arms, like a real spider. And I believe it was some sort of where he ended up needing to use. The Kurt Connors, the lizard, this is the very, very first Morbius story, ended up using some sort of weird enzyme in Morbius's blood to cure Spider-Man so he only had two arms again. I think, okay, I'm sorry, we need to have Tom Holland running around with six arms. I would pay to top dollar to see that. <laughs> Go back and look at the cover of, you know, you can link to this, you know, Sp Amazing Spider-Man 101. It shows Morbius fighting Spider-Man. And Spider-Man is a six-armed freak, okay? <laughs> I would be unironically down to see that on screen. Honestly, exactly. I think we need to see Tom Holland with six arms. And we have the technology, damn it. We can do it. <laughs> yeah. And he, needs, and he needs Morbius to cure him. That was actually the original plotline. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, with the way comic book movies are going now, it's like they could go in all sorts of directions. You know, New Mutants has horror so maybe we'll have more horror stuff. Like, like we've been hearing that the next Doctor Strange movie will have horror elements in it. And yeah, I'm, definitely, yeah. And I'm, like, hoping that that movie gets super weird and out there. Like, like going forward, Marvel should try getting even more ridiculous and really push the envelope of how much more comic booky weirdness. Marvel has a whole Marvel horror universe that they can pillage and ransack for the movies. I, I yes, you know, we mentioned before, Werewolf by Night, to a Dracula, Son of Satan, Ghost Rider, you know, Man-Thing. They've got an endless array of, and they used to publish, Haunt of Horror, Vampire Tales, Dracula Lives, Tales of the Zombie, you know, they got a zombie character, the living, Marvel has a mummy character, the living mummy, you know. Yeah, and there's the, like, new 
upcoming Hulu series for Marvel called Hellstrom, which I guess is right. horror. I, I'm not very familiar with it. Probably, yeah. He, yeah, that's Damien Hellstrom, the son of Satan, who was one of Marvel's old horror characters and who got started around, created around the time that Morbius was created. This was all when Marvel kind of, like I said, the, the comic code loosened up and suddenly you could have witches and vampires and all this occult stuff, which had been officially banned from comic books for about, you know, 20 years. Right. Now, the Marvel monster boom kind of eventually collapsed. It was probably, it just exploded for a while there. And then, but it's still there. These characters are all there. I mean, Dracula has fought Spider-Man. Dracula has fought the X-Men. And Dracula has fought the Avengers. Blade was even a member of the Avengers recently in the comic books, you know. I feel like everyone has pretty much been on the Avengers by this point, right? Well, I think, yeah, that. <laughs> or the Defenders, yes. Right. Um, and many of them have gone back and forth. But yeah, so you, you, Marvel has a whole litany of Marvel characters. And Doctor Strange, like I said, is the entry point because Doctor Strange is the, you know, brother voodoo. They, they, they've got lots of horror and sort of spooky, you know, both, both Marvel and DC. DC's got their sort of spooky end of the universe of Dead Man and Dr. Fate and Zatanna and the Spectre right. and Adam Xanadu. And over at Marvel, you have, which, which again, they have been barely been touched on so far, media-wise. I will not rest until we get a Spectre movie. Uh, oh, yes. And over, and over at you know Marvel, like I said, they, they, they've got volumes of Marvel horror comics and Marvel horror characters that they can exploit. The Spectre got, like, this animated short film uh, as part of, like, yeah. DC Showcase, and I was, like, really impressed with it. I, If I remember correctly, I think it had, like, a 1970s noir vibe to it, if it's the one I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, I remember it looked really cool. Uh, I'd love to see that on in live action, like, in that style. Oh, yeah, I'm still crushing. I mean, they, they dabbled with the Spectre a little bit in Crisis of Infinite Earths. So right. I, I want a full-bore Spectre series involving the original Spectre, you know, not Green Arrow briefly becoming the Spectre. Right. Or, Jim Corrigan. Yeah, I want, I want Jim Corrigan and all that, you know. Right. But, hey, you know, like I said, you know, Constantine is all over the place these days. Yeah. Doom Patrol. Doom, Doom Patrol has their own TV series, which is... Weird, you know. I, I'm a little late to the table here, but I'm slowly, presently sort of binge-watching my way through the first season of Doom Patrol, which our local library just got in, you know, so. Oh, nice. Yeah, Doom Patrol is my favorite live-action DC series I've seen. I'm about 10 episodes through the first season now. Okay, so you're about two-thirds into that first season. But yeah, I love Mr. Mm -hmm. Nobody and, like, his fourth wall breaking and... and and they brought in Danny the Street. We were talking about esoteric characters who were now, you know, whoever thought we would see Danny the Street in, a, right. in live action here. Yeah, I mean, all the characters are pretty out there, like yeah. Robot Man, Negative Man, and like just... And Alaska, oh, I love Rita. Alaska. Yeah, Rita, like, she's great. Like, I just Oh, love and, oh dear, she just turned into a blob. Isn't that unfortunate? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's cool because, like, the show is strange, but it also touches upon trauma, so it has really yeah. deep layers to it and i just love it yeah so what are your final thoughts and score out of 10 for the morbius movie well like i said i've been waiting my whole life for the morbius movie i could i saw it on opening night and am now going to be you know anxiously waiting for morbius 2 they actually they can call it adventure morbius 2 adventures into fear okay oh that'd be cool <laughs> i'll give it a a a, a nine 
Oh, it's nice. I'm generally, I'm generally against actually just going for 10, except for you know, really real superlatives. Like, I rarely go to a 10, because there are few movies that are, like, that feel perfect to me. So, like, 9 is, like, really high up there, and that's, like, high... Well, maybe, maybe, okay, maybe 8. Maybe I'm, maybe... We will allow for a certain great inflation due to the fact that I'm a you know lifelong Morbius junkie. Okay, <laughs> I mean you can do decimal if you want, and it's like uh, like you can rate it however you want. Like it's cool. You know, if you're like yeah. I think realistically, I think I need to revisit the movie and actually perhaps watch it a few more times before I can actually give it a <laughs> you know final rule. I think a final rating. You know. <laughs> There's almost, I feel like I haven't fully experienced the movie yet, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, there's some movies where, like, I watch them, and I feel like I know my rating for them, but there are others where I feel like I need to watch them a couple more times to know for sure. My rating for today may change what I actually get a chance to experience the movie a few more times. <laughs> right. So I guess for you, it would hover around 8 or 9, yeah. maybe 8.5-ish. But yes. yeah. But, so for me, um, I really enjoyed the like horror vibe that this movie took. It really took chances, like embracing that aspect of the Marvel Universe. I enjoyed it more than Venom, which, I mean, I know you haven't seen Venom, but I thought the first act of Venom was, it was hard for me to stay awake during the first act um so morbius i think i definitely enjoyed more than that um and i will give this a solid eight out of ten very good yeah and who knows sometimes like i said the second movie is even better like with x-men 2 or spider-man 2 maybe maybe it will make it to nine or ten for morbius 2 yeah i mean it's really satisfying when you get a sequel that just raises the bar so like hopefully we'll get something like that in the future one could also possibly talk about the dark knight as well yeah yeah or like the empire strikes back like there there's a bunch of examples um although i think i am in the minority of preferring batman begins slightly over the dark knight but i still really love the dark knight you know actually i'm on the same page with you i would i mentioned dark knight i think the general popular wisdom is that the Dark Knight is the best of the three. But personally, no, my favorite is Batman Begins. Oh, nice. Yeah, virtual high five with you. <laughs> um, yeah, because, like, maybe the Dark Knight has, like, some of the best performances, like, especially with, like, Heath Ledger's Joker. But I think overall, I enjoyed the story of Batman Begins a little bit more. But And I will, and I will recuse myself on the third movie just because I wrote the novelization of that movie so I became a survivor. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that, but, like, I forgot, like, as we were, like, recording this. <laughs> uh, yeah. So clearly I have a soft spot for the third movie. Okay. Since I worked on it for quite some time. <laughs> right. And, like, out of your books, I've only read the con books from Star Trek Volumes 1 and 2. Those I really enjoyed those. And also... Batman, The Court of Owls. I really enjoyed that one as well. Thanks a lot. Yeah, that was... Batman, The Court of Owls is very, very recent. and I, Yeah, I put a lot of work into that one. All right. So I guess while we're at it, uh, where can people find your books, your work? And like, do you have like anything that's coming up you want to promote? In November, 
It is a original Star Trek novel, Star Trek, the original series, A Contest of Champions. It's a brand new Star Trek novel. I describe it as my love letter to Dr. McCoy, and that's coming out in November. I should also, now that I think of it, actually have another thing coming out in time for Halloween. There's a small press book called Musings on Monsters, which is a collection of essays on classic horror, which brings us back to vampires. And yeah, I wrote an essay on Boris, comparing Boris Karloff to Beta Lugosi for that book. And it's called Musings on Monsters. And it's supposed to, the plan is to get it out in time for Halloween. Oh yeah, I remember hearing about this one. I definitely remember the title. Yeah, it's it's coming out from Sequart Press. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. And it's a, and it's a collection of articles and essays on Frankenstein, Dracula, Dark Shadows, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Cat People, all sort of, you know, your, 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 your classic horror and monsters. Right, and Rich Handley is editing that book, right? Yes. Okay. Rich Handley, yeah. So that ties in because, hey, we're back to vampires again. <laughs> yeah. All roads lead us back to vampires. Right, it's a blood-filled path, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like trying to think. However, of... I will say there are there are no vampires in my new Star Trek novel. Uh, well, maybe sorry to break. Time. No vampires, no mermaids. Right. There was a salt vampire on Lower Decks, the cartoon. So yes, I saw that. Yeah. As for my plugs, um, I have a fantasy horror comedy novel called Lemons on Like Rain, which also has vampire in it, and that is available on Amazon. People can find more info on that at stevenshinder.com. And listeners can follow me at Steven Schinder on Twitter and Instagram, Steven Schinder Storytelling on Facebook, and also at Culture Slate pretty much everywhere. That's the entertainment news site that my friends run where I've been like writing and editing some articles. So check that out. And discussing the latest episodes of Star Trek Discovery. With Liana Ahmed, videos go up on the Culture Slate YouTube channel on Fridays. And they also go up on, you can also go to channel1138.com slash Star Trek Culture. And if you'd like to email Delayed Replay, you can send an email to delayedreplaypodcast at gmail.com. And we may read your thoughts on the show. Greg, thanks again for joining me on this episode talking about Morbius and I guess comic books in general. <laughs> and comic book movies. Yeah, we, we like went like all over the multiverse, <laughs> I guess. But yeah, it's just fun talking about that sort of stuff. Well, it, it's an interconnected Marvel universe, you know? Right. <laughs> all right. Without further delay, have a good day. You too. Thanks for talking to you. <laughs> Bye. All right, I'll just tack this on, kind of like a post-credits scene type of thing. Hey everyone, this is Steven with a little correction for the plugs toward the end. So the title of the Star Trek book was actually called A Contest of Principles. So yeah, go ahead and check that out. I, of course, have the link in the show notes. And yeah, just read literature, I guess. <laughs> whether it be comic books or novels or what have you. Stephen. Huh? Stephen. Who said that? We're the evil worms inside your mind.
Oh no. I remember now. We have reshaped you. No. What's going on with my skin? My teeth? What? Where's the mirror? What? No reflection? What have you done to me? I'm a vampire!